Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. It's been a while, but I'm back today with John Littering. I'm Jake Litarski. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jakeski52. Give John a follow as well at uh, J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. We've got a hell of a card coming your way. UFC 225, live from the United Center in Chicago on Saturday. Today, John and I, we've got a lot of DraftKings to break down. Some big-time prize pools up for grab. I just saw today the $10 MMA uppercut is giving away 25 k to first prize, so there's definitely some money to be had, John. Um, how you been since the last time I saw you? I'm good. Uh, I mean, this is... Uh, I think we're both in agreement that this is by far the biggest card so far this year, and, uh, you know, it's been a little slow the last 
couple months. But mm-hmm. if you're an MMA, MMA fan, man, this this is the weekend for you. Yeah, absolutely. There's a little bit of news I want to get to before we dive into the card. I mean, I've seen all over the place today. Uh, I don't know if you caught this at, at, at the day job or not, but uh looks like Dana White wants to move weigh-ins back to the afternoon. You know, fighter health aside, there's some question about that, but that's got to be good for DraftKings players, right? More, less fighters missing weight, ideally, and, and less late scrambling with lineups. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's better for uh from a DraftKings perspective i you know the bottom line is though that there's there's i think there's going to be a weight cutting problem in this sport no matter how you look at it uh, whether you do it in the morning whether you do it you know early you know early in the evening you know the day, day before um the, you know the truth of the matter is there're just not enough weight classes and there are too many women fighting in weight classes that really just aren't conducive to their body and um, you know, you can try and break it down, you know, scientifically, you know, what can we do to make this, you know, better, but um it's just it's a sport uh that has issues that are more or less unsolvable and I think this is just one of them. You know, it might help in certain areas or probably hurt in other areas, but um, you know, the bottom line is no matter how you do it and no matter how you try and set it up, there are gonna be fighters that miss weight and you know, that's just a side effect of the sport. Yeah, it's just everybody trying to get that size advantage by moving down. That's not going to change with more weight classes. The fact that there's that there's flyweight right now, you know, it, it might be good for some strawweights, former strawweights that can fl- fight at flyweight. But there's going to be for for the amount of those people it helps. There's going to be the same amount of bantamweights trying to stretch themselves down even further so they can get that size advantage at 125. So uh, yeah, you're right. It's just it's going to it's going to be an ongoing issue. There's no perfect solution. I mean, the whole rationale between moving it from the afternoon to the morning was to give these fighters more time to hydrate, be quote unquote healthier on fight night. But the side effect, of course, that I'm sure Dan and the promotion never saw coming is uh, I think there's been over 60 fighters that have missed weight in, in the last couple of years. I don't have the exact number in front of you, but that's significantly more than the two years prior. Um, you know, cause and effect, that's debatable. But basically, it's not having the whole extra sauna time and, 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 and everything else, right? I mean, because normally you wake up at a normal time in the morning and cut all day to do your live weigh-ins at 5, 6 o'clock. Now when your weigh-in windows 9 to 11, you're starting in the middle of the night with a sauna and that's just not working for some fighters right and, and you know the other thing to keep in mind is you know this is not dana white's decision um this is decided by the local athletic commissions and um you know just like the referees for you know for each particular fighter assigned by the athletic commission the ufc has no say in that so yeah well you know when all comes when all, all is said and done this is not dana white's decision sure the ufc is by far the biggest fighting organization in the world then you know in that sense I'm sure their personal preference, you know, will have some say in pressuring some athletic commissions in regards to what they end up doing. But, you know, Dana White, as we say, you know, all the time, you know, is a promoter and he's going to do whatever is necessary and whatever he thinks he can do to, you know, try and stop fights from falling apart. And, you know, that that's pretty much his end game here. You know, I don't want to say he doesn't care about the health of his fighters, but uh, his main goal is making sure his fighters stay healthy to actually end up fighting on fight night. Yeah, keep those cards intact, which has, needless to say, has been a little bit of a challenge so far in 2018. But, John, I think we could do an entire show just talking about weight cutting and different ideas and different proposals and changes here. 
but eventually we got to help these DFS players out. So we'll jump right into it, John. The main event time. This is a fight I've been looking forward to quite some time. I love watching both of these fighters fight. Uh, you know, the fan in me, of course, says that. And there's a little bit of an interesting spread here. Well, first and foremost, it's a middleweight championship fight between Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero. Now, the betting odds say Whitaker is a pretty big favorite, minus 240, Romero about a plus 200 underdog. So that, that's a decent spread. And DraftKings, almost surprisingly, uh, has a $2,000 difference here between fighters. You got to pay up 9100 to get Whitaker, the minus 240 favorite, while Romero and all his knockout power sits at 7100 So for me, that seems like it's a, it's, it's a good cornerstone of a GPP lineup. But before we get too far into that type of strategy, I mean, how are you seeing this one play out this time around? You're right. This is an excellent fight. And the reason uh, for me that it's such an interesting fight is obviously a rematch um, the two fought last July. Whitaker won that fight in a fight that was essentially a typical Yola Romero fight. In what I mean by that is, he blitzed Whitaker early. Um, Whitaker looked like he was in trouble on a couple occasions. Ended up surviving, and then being a five-round championship fight, Whitaker ended up, you know, taking the last few rounds on points and ended up, you know, getting the judge's decision. And um, Whitaker actually hasn't fought since then. So by the time he gets out there, you know, he's looking at, you know, almost a year on the sidelines. And this fight, in a way, sets up similarly, but in another way, it's totally different. And by totally different, I mean, it sure seems like Yoel Romero is fighting differently than he did just a year ago. Um, he earned a rep. He's one of the freakiest athletes in the whole company. Um, he turned 41 in April, which I still don't um, believe. It. How no, is he 41? Look uh, at that physique. Guys. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly not younger than 41. He might be older than 41. Um, <laughs> and he's he the guy's unbelievable. And when I say he's fighting differently than he did just a year ago, by that I mean he's fighting smarter. Um, he was always a fighter who, just because of his athletic ability and explosiveness, you know, could always end a fight in an instant. But what he would do is go for broke early, like he did in the first fight between the two. Um, you know, he's so good and so, so you know, insanely talented that a lot of times that early flurry would be enough to win the fight. It wasn't against Whitaker, and he ended up struggling in the, the final few rounds. Um, and what he did in his fight against Luke Rockhold um, in February was – he started slower. He didn't do a whole heck of a lot um, early. He allowed the fight to come to him. And when the opening was there, he knocked Rockhold out. Now, um, he missed weight in that fight, um, did Romero. Uh, if you miss weight, you should be penalized. Um, you know, you shouldn't be rewarded with another title shot. But because of how the division's set up at the moment, um, you know, Romero's getting another shot at the title and um, his new I don't want to call it a new style of fighting because we've only seen him do it for one fight. But the way I look at it is him fighting like this, um, as opposed to what he did in the first fight between the two, makes this a closer fight than I would have originally thought. If you told me Romero was going to uh, go for broke once again early, I would have said you're going to end up with the same exact fight you ended up with the first time. That being Whitaker surviving um, and and you know out working Romero late, but if Romero is patient, I certainly think he has a far better chance to win. Now I picked Whitaker to win outright, but 
um, I definitely think Romero is the better value play given the odds. And I was, like you just mentioned, I'm really, really surprised that there's such a gap between the two. Um, mm-hmm. You would think maybe, uh, maybe not, you know, totally even in regards to odds, but maybe Whitaker should be no more than, you know, two, three hundred dollars more than Romero. But a two thousand dollar difference is massive, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised the Vegas odds are so spread apart. I'm surprised the DraftKings salaries are so spread apart. And it, it, quite honestly, if Romero fights on Saturday like he did against Rockhold, and by that meaning he takes his time, he allows the fight to come to him, he doesn't get out of the hand and chase Whitaker around the cage. Honestly, to me, it's 50-50 and who wins. And $7,100 on DraftKings for a 50-50 coin toss is what you're looking for if you want to make money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a couple things I want to address there from uh, from your excellent breakdown there is uh, one, yes, Romero did miss weight in his last fight against Luke Rockhold. Um, I'm not quite as worried about it this time around for a couple of reasons. One, that Rockhold fight was on it was a little less than a month, month maybe three weeks notice. So it was a little. It wasn't like some guy accepting a fight on ten days, like what my, Max Holloway tried to do uh, relatively recently. But it was, uh, it was relatively short notice, so he didn't have the quite the right camp. And then uh, I watched Romero's interview with Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour the other day, and Ariel straight up likes to ask these guys, which I appreciate very much. He asked them, "How much do you weigh right now?" And you know. There's can be debate as to whether your fighter has an incentive to really tell the truth, but he told Ariel he weighs 195 pounds, and that's on that was yesterday on Monday. We're recording the show on Tuesday, so for I don't know middleweights. Normally, you think I mean even Darren Till is a welterweight, walks around north of 200. Most middleweights are north of 200. So if Yoel really is 195 right now, I have to imagine he has no problem whatsoever cutting to 185. Not going to get that extra leeway pound because it's a title fight. 185 pounds. I think he makes it. I'd still check your lineups Friday morning to make sure, but I would say you know the odds of him making weight are, are probably better than not making weight. So because he hasn't been one that's historically missed weight. Now fight wise, looking back at the numbers from their first fight, Whitaker won the striking battle 74 to 48. I mean Romero's output in the championship rounds basically fell off a cliff because like you said he gassed out early, but Romero did. Uh, according to fight metric, he registered four takedowns in the fight. He was just unable to do anything with them. He didn't pass guard a single time, and he wasn't able to take advantage of ground strikes at all. Now, this time around, I, I, I agree with you in that the Rockhold fight showed us a little something about Romero. Maybe he's going to fight a little smarter. Maybe he's going to pick his spots. And at 7,100 on DraftKings, uh, th- this is a fight where, I'll be honest, like straight up, if you gave me, I have to pick a winner straight up, I'm going to go Whitaker. Now, I would have, if someone asked me to set an opening line, I'd to put it around minus 165 175 not minus 240 that's quite a bit for me i'm still gonna on, on the record and on the staff picks go ahead and pick robert whitaker I, I, even in a cash game i don't think he's a bad pick because he'll get you steady output over a fight that has potential to go four or five rounds but on DraftKings at 7100 john that just opens up so much and you look at uh, romero his He's got that well-documented history of third-round knockouts if you're looking for a prop bet out there, guys. Beating Rockhold in the third round, knocking out Weidman with a flying knee in the third round. Um, you know, Lyoto Machida isn't quite what he was, but elbows in the third round. Tim Kennedy punched out in the third round. Uh, Derek Brunson, elbows in the third round. Uh, so Romero, yeah, he's getting that pace. I think he knows how to pace himself better now that he's been in a five-round fight. And I think at 7,100, of course, you know, you have to make multiple lineups, especially if you're going to do that mass entry GPP strategy. But Romero's going to be in a lot of mine because 7,100 is so cheap, opens the door to have multiple favorites. And I think he has 
maybe not quite a 50-50 chance of winning, but you know, maybe a 45, something like that. I think he's got a good enough chance to really pay off at that price tag. He does. And you know, essentially it's about finding value and we'll talk about this a little later in the show with Ricardo Lamas, but you know, the gist of it is that you know, Romero is really good, and seventy one hundred dollars is a really, really low price for such a good fighter. That's um, the lowest you'll see him the rest of his fighting career. I, I, I'll make yes, that statement now. Absolutely, and I mean, if you look at you know their body, not their body types, but you know you have a younger fighter in Whitaker, you have an older fighter in Romero. Whitaker is the fighter who the next few years is going to age better. But um, if Romero, the the question for the big question for me is. You know, in the Rockwell fight, Romero did what he said he wanted to do. You know, took his time and all that. When he goes in there against Whitaker, you know, in the title fight, is that going to suddenly go out the window? We see that happen. Guys go in all the time with saying, well, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they get in there and they do something totally different. So, yeah, you won't know that till he gets in there. And that's one of the reasons we always advocate making multiple lineups. But there's certainly insane value with a fighter of Romero's caliber and talent level at $7,100. Yeah, no doubt about that to me. And uh, there's a couple more like that later in the card here. So, uh, uh, but but just for the record, you're, you're going to pick Whitaker straight up? Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Whitaker to win, but I, to be honest, I don't feel overly confident about it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's more or less in the area of 50-50 for me. Yeah, he's even a little risky for cash games. And when we say multiple lineups, a lot of times it's you definitely go with a different strategy in those large field tournaments with a big prize pool at the top as opposed to someone that you're just playing in a head-to-head or a double up but okay hopefully that covers the main event of course you can get at both of us on twitter or just comment when i post this as an article if you've got any more follow-up questions on whitaker and romero but john we got another belt on the line or at least in this case the interim variety the ufc loves to do this but uh with tyron woodley on the shelf for about 11 months it's time for an interim welterweight championship uh we've got such a joke yeah yeah i know what you mean man you definitely not shy about it in the article but uh we're gonna have an interim one gotta spice up the card that, that way dana and company can say two title fights on this card but nonetheless we've got a razor thin very very close projected fight between rafael dos anchos and colby covington dos anchos is 8200 on DraftKings as a slight betting favorite as well covington 8000 on DraftKings. so technically you know when you have 50,000 for for six fighters you know, you get eight thousand three hundred thirty-three for fi- per fighter on average. So, using this fight, I would advocate, especially in cash games, just because you know you have a five-round fight and it it gives you slightly more money to put towards favorites. But anyway, the betting odds: Dos Anjos minus one twenty, Covington plus one hundred. But this is one I've seen float back and forth quite a bit here. I mean, there's just uh, I've, you can go to one site and make it be a pick 'em. Like uh, I don't know, just to to get an example here, uh, I don't know. Five Dimes has the two a pick. Him at minus one ten apiece. Bovada has RDA at minus one thirty. Covington at plus one hundred. You know stuff like sports bet. That's a that's a pick 'em. You know, so, so I always you always like to shop around when, when you're if you're the gambling type. That's going to be legal in a lot more places soon. But I could talk about that forever too. But not to get too sidetracked here. Basically, we have a very very close fight here on DraftKings. The salaries reflect that. The odds reflect that. The odds to finish at plus one twenty five seem to think we're going to get dig deeper into the uh, later rounds but john we both got to make a pick here who do you got and why uh good question um to give you an idea i thought what you just mentioned as far as the odds and the salaries i thought that's what you were looking at for the romero whitaker fight Mm -hmm. i I thought that's you know roughly the numbers you were going to get 
Um, this is another really good fight, and you know, we're not going to get into the whole interim title thing, but because uh, this is an excellent fight, you know, even without that tag. Mm-hmm. And um, I flipped back and forth on this. I ended up taking Colby Covington, and um, the the main reason, and really the only reason, is that I think he's just I think he's going to be able to use his size advantage to his advantage. Um, you know, Rafael dos Anjos was a very, very big lightweight. He's not a particularly big welterweight. Um, he's given away three inches in height and two inches in reach to Covington on the surface. That doesn't sound ridiculous, but when you're going up against a guy who averages damn near six takedowns per 15 minutes, 5.98, um, it's an issue. Uh, I certainly think RDA is the better all around mixed martial artist, you know, if, if you're telling me, you're, you know, you're going column by column, who's better at this, who's better at that. Um, for me, that would be Dos Andros. Um, and the thing I'm not worried about, but the thing that concerns me more with Covington uh, nowadays than anything else is just he seems to be getting more his antics away from, you know, the cage seem to be um, getting more well known, you know, seemingly by the day. He's not Conor McGregor. He's not. He's not throwing barriers through He's a heel. He's trying to be a heel. He's trying to make the whole country of Brazil hate him. He's talking his way into a title shot. And the way it's worked, I mean, why wouldn't other fighters do that? Yeah, you're right. That's that's pretty much what he's doing. He's, you know, if if you if any of our listeners, I'm sure are, you know, are pro wrestling fans, that's pretty much what he's doing. He's going out and he's cutting heel promos, and you know, he he's playing the villain and. You know, this fight's in Chicago, so I don't really know why he needs to play up the Brazil thing in Chicago. But mm-hmm. um, he, I, he was right. maybe I, originally scheduled for the last card in Brazil, but I forget why it didn't exactly happen and got pushed back to this one. Glad to see the fight happen regardless. But imagine him getting – he would have to have quite the security detail if he goes to fight in Brazil again. Yeah, I mean that's – you know th- that that's – you're right. He's playing a heel. He's cutting heel promos. He's doing all that nonsense. But at the end of the day, the guy's a world-class wrestler. He trains with a world-class team in American top team. So, you know, I really don't think everything he's doing, you know, as far as that is going to really impact, um, you know, impact his performance on Saturday. Um, the thing that the, – the only thing that concerns me also concerns me slightly about Covington is he has problems finishing fights via strikes. He only has two knockouts in his career. Um, his only UFC knockout came against Max Griffin, which is the equivalent of not having a UFC knockout basically. Um, so I'm a little worried about that moving forward, but he's a legitimate high level world-class wrestler. He's big and he's strong and he's the kind of fighter who like Herbib Nurmagomedov in the sense that if he gets you to the ground, you have a really hard time getting up and he might fail on the first three attempts of the round. But then if he drags you to the mat with two minutes left in the round, odds are you're not getting up. And a lot of times, especially in a five-round fight, if you have a round that's close, all he needs to do is connect on one takedown and grind on you for two minutes, and all of a sudden he wins a round that maybe he shouldn't have won. Mm-hmm. And that's and you know I don't want anybody to take you know my pick of Covington as you know a knock on Dos Anjos because it's not. You know he's been one of the best fighters in the world in multiple weight classes for a long time. This just kind of seems like. A poor matchup for him. He's now he's going to be giving up size to most everybody in the division. Mm-hmm. So you know you can't yep. you can't say that's the reason he's going to you know lose. But I'm picking Covington if only because I think 
his wrestling ability will help him grind out a win. If Covington wins, it will almost assuredly be via decision, and it will almost assuredly be one of those fights where the fans are going to start booing. Yeah, not going to be exciting. No, yeah, that that's that's what you're going to get if Covington wins. Mm-hmm. All right, so I got a couple things here to, to kind of take apart there with that with that breakdown. First of all, pods are no fun when we agree on everything, and I'm going to take Rafael dos Santos for for a very much variety of reasons. Yes, he's giving size up and 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 definitely just just mass overall. It seems like to Covington, um, but he RTA gave up the, uh, significant more size than Neil Magny, and Neil Magny's nowhere on the level that Covington is. Um, but at the same time, Rafael took him down, submitted him in the first round, relatively effortless. So that's a thing. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, yeah, Covington's an excellent wrestler, but I don't think you can quite put him on the Khabib level, and and because really nobody is on the on the Khabib level. So that's a that's another point I wanted to make. But overall, I'm taking the overall fight IQ and the resume experience of Rafael dos Santos. I'm going to throw a stat out here, John, uh, regarding the takedowns because we mentioned that being Covington's uh, best path to victory since the start of 2014. Dos Santos has been taking down 11 times in 11 fights, and six of those were against Habib. So, you know, you take 10 fights, he's only been taken down five times. So on the surface, the 66% takedown defense doesn't necessarily look like, look, look like the greatest. And I don't necessarily know that it's the greatest idea to, to, to take RDA down and, and grapple with him and ride. Now, this is a ways back here. But in one of Covington's early UFC fights, he fought Warley Alves, and while going for a takedown, got caught up in a guillotine and submitted big time. And I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Dos Anjos is able to do the same thing here. Uh, I think, obviously, much higher of RDA's grappling ability, and I think he can be able to do some damage on his back, and he almost prefers the fight to be fought close up in the clinch. So this is a very, very, very close fight, John. Um, but I'm gonna, in the end, I'm going to take the guy with the higher fight IQ, a little bit more experience someone that can handle the wrestling you know maybe not the best takedown defender in the entire division but plenty of experience with guys at or greater than uh, Covington's wrestling ability and and, th- and that's no joke because Covington is a stud wrestler that's what's gotten him this far six takes on, takedowns a fight no arguing that but for the variety of reasons I just listed off I think I've got to take Dos Anjos in this fight now Covington wins I won't be entirely shocked but for now I'm leaning RDA I think that's I think that's one of the reasons this I mean obviously it has a ton of great fights but I think that's one of the reasons this card is really intriguing the co-main event and the co- and the main event are two fights where you know you can make a pretty good argument that they can go both ways and with all the cards the UFC runs runs these days you know that's not a given Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is there's been a lot of lopsided title fights, uh, especially in the women's featherweight division, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But not the case on this card. Some very very tight fights, very intriguing fights to the point where you got to get in and tune into those FS1 prelims. We'll get to that a little bit later on, but uh, you got to get to those fights too because there are some exceptional fights here. But I I alluded to the women's featherweight division a moment ago. We got to talk about this one. This is essentially the best featherweight fight the UFC can make that doesn't feature Chris Cyborg. We've got Holly. Holm taking on Megan Anderson. Holly Holm, 8,900. She's a minus 250 betting favorite. Megan Anderson, this is technically her UFC debut. She's the reigning Invicta Featherweight Championship. Anderson, only 7,300 on DraftKings, a plus 210 betting underdog. Vegas likes this one to see all three rounds. The odds of finish are plus 205. Holly Holm, you've got the experienced vet. Megan Anderson, you kind of got that young, up-and-coming, maybe future champ. I think she's 28 years old, so she's got time to figure that out. 
but will Holmes' experience be just too much in this fight? Yeah, I think it will. I picked Holmes, and our regular listeners know I'm not the biggest Holly Holmes supporter. Uh, her UFC career has to be considered a success if for no other reason than her knockout of Ronda Rousey, and she was the UFC women's bantamweight champion. So if she retired tomorrow, uh, you know, Holly Holm had a successful career, but there's been more good than bad in Holmes' UFC career. And the problem Megan Anderson facing is in this fight is this is a substantial, substantial jump in terms of um, who she's faced in the past and who she'll be facing on Saturday. And the other thing uh, that's Megan Anderson, the other issue Megan Anderson is going to have on Saturday is she's going up an op- against an opponent in home whose biggest and, quite honestly, really only legitimate high-level ability is her striking. Mm-hmm. And that's Anderson's strength. And, um, you know, say what you want about Holly Holm and how she's looked in the UFC and how the other parts of her game, while they've gotten better, you know, they're still not great. So she's essentially a pure striker in her own right. And um, I'm a little surprised this is the matchup they went with for Megan Anderson. Um She's a true featherweight. She's six feet tall. So, you know, Megan Anderson's not making 135 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're going to, if they're good, the UFC is going to have to try and find fights for her in the featherweight division. And mm-hmm. it's a problem. It's going to turn into a problem for the division as a whole. Mm-hmm. You I know, mean, they, Cyborg's got two fights left on her contract, and she keeps saying she wants to try boxing after that. So sooner or later, we do have to think about life after Cyborg in the featherweight division, which is tough because they made the division for her. They did, and they they made the division for her, and they're really getting. I don't want to know. I don't know if I would say they're getting what they wanted, but I, they've got the UFC has gotten I, what they had to have, have expected to get. And then you run into the question: you know, does the value of having Cyborg as your dominant champion outweigh the fact that you can't really? put together interesting fights in an entire division. I mean, this fight is one of the few fights they can make that actually is somewhat intriguing. Mm-hmm. You have Megan Anderson's debut. You have, you know, Holmes, a former champion. So, you know, this is an intriguing fight. But to me, Megan Anderson is, is pretty marketable, and this sets up poorly for um, – I wrote on our preview article, her last four fights were against Charmaine Tweet, Peggy Morgan, Amanda Bell, and Amber Lybrock. Um I'm going to guess the vast majority of our listeners haven't heard of any of them. Mm-hmm. And, but, and rightfully, she's knocked out and, everybody. Right. She has. Two of them in the first round. That's kind of my point. You know, mm-hmm. this is going to be a substantial step up. And um, we've, you know, the UFC has gotten better since the disasters of Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zant. you know, getting, you know, losing early in their tenures. The UFC has gotten a little smarter lately. I would say the last year, 18 months or so, about how they push these, you know, high-end prospects. But like you said, Anderson's 28 years old. She'll be 29 in February. So she's not a kid like Van Zant and Sage were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess they're trying to find out how, you know, how legitimate she is. And, yeah, I mean, you could see from 100 miles away where this is trending. Mm-hmm. If Anderson wins, she's going to fight Cyborg. That That's just all oh, yeah. there is to it. Yeah, that was if originally going to happen. I mean, the UFC right. wanted her to fight Cyborg. She withdrew for personal reasons. I'll, I'll talk to that when I get to my bit. But that's the plan. That's the, that is the plan, and the question is if she loses, and I'm picking home, is where does she go from here? Because it's not a division 
It's not like the lightweight division or the featherweight division where once you get past the first three and four names, you're like, oh, I could still make four or five really interesting fights. Mm-hmm. It's just not how the division's set up. They don't have the depth there. I mean, Tanya Evinger wants a fight, I guess. So maybe, there's, but again, that's not there's, coming there's up the no same one. kind of there's interest. Really, there's no one. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Cyborg. They have they're in order to give Cyborg title fights, they essentially have to pull fighters from Invicta to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. the division just. It's not there, so I don't know what – I mean I know what the USC was trying to accomplish by creating the division, but now they're left with with a wasteland, which is, I mean, by far the thinnest division. You know, We would always joke – I mean the light heavyweight division is really thin. The heavyweight division is pretty thin. The flyweight division is extremely thin, but the UFC women's featherweight division is by far the thinnest division in the company, and it's not even close. Exactly. Well, all right, John. You're going to call me crazy in a second here, but I've got to pick Megan Anderson here. I think it's changing at the guard time, to be completely honest. I mean, just the intangible things, and maybe it's too much of a gut feeling, and I'm relying on that as opposed to the film that I've watched. But she got home at 36, Anderson at 28. It just intangibly, I mean, Anderson was supposed to fight Cyborg. She mysteriously kind of withdrew personal reasons. Okay, whatever that is, let's get behind that. But chances are she just wasn't ready. And I think the UFC thinks she's ready now. And that's why they scheduled this fight in the first place. They need that marketable champion. But on top of that, you know, just looking at the measurements here, Holmes conceding four inches in both height and reach to Anderson. Now, okay, everyone remembers, picture uh, Ronda Rousey when Holly Holm knocked her out with a head kick, okay? Ronda Rousey's 5'7", all right? So we're looking at, um, yeah, four or five inches. That, that's a much tougher head kick against someone like Megan Anderson, someone with uh, some much more built arms to check something like that. And I think the, the physical differences are, are, are going to be a, a little bit you know, more pronounced than someone would expect. And it's, just, it's telling me that this is changing to the guard time, that this is Megan Anderson time. So part of – I have a really hard time picking Anderson outright. Um, because you know, I, I could very much respect what Holly Holm has done over the years. Trains at an exceptional camp at Jackson Wink MMA, um, but I do think that this is changing to the guard time, and it, and it is Anderson's time. And I might be the only one to go ahead and pick Anderson um, on the card. Actually, I think I might have got some some staff picks in for later this week. I don't want to spoil it. But maybe I'm not the only one, but uh, yeah, it's just changing to the guard time for me. But more importantly. If you go back and you start a lineup construction with Anderson and Yoel Romero, both fighters 73 and 7,100, you're suddenly sticking four favorites in. And if you get the cards to fall in your direction for those two fights towards the end of the night, all of a sudden you're big time in the money looking at maybe staring down one of that $25,000 top prizes. So uh, good for GPP strategy. I'm picking her straight up, but... But again, she hasn't faced nearly the level of competition. That's the one thing that gives me cause for concern. But do I think she has a, a, a more than reasonable chance to win? Absolutely. Yeah, I you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I'd be, uh, you know, I, I'd be pretty surprised if she won. But the question is, that's my big thing, too. But again, you know, for every fighter who goes up against competition and fails, once in a while you get a fighter who really, you know, comes through. So mm-hmm. it's uh, 7,300 is it's a reasonable salary. I think the odds and the salaries in this fight are right on, too. So, you know, like Romero, if you think he's a good value, um, which we do. And, you know, if you're running low and you're getting toward the end of your lineup and you need someone to plug in there. You know, put it this way. I would put Megan Anderson in my lineup before Andre Arlovsky, who is we're about to talk about in about two seconds. Yeah, before Andre Arlovsky, probably before Rashad Evans, 
Sergio Pettis is an interesting one, and then we get to the De La Rochas and Lamases of the world here. But uh, we do want to hit on a handful more fights here. So uh, let's go ahead and move past this to Arlovsky, like you just mentioned. You've got yet another one, kind of the old versus the new. Andre Arlovsky taking on Bam Bam, Tai Toivasa. Arlovsky 6,900, the second cheapest fighter on the entire card. Toivasa 9,300. Pretty big favorite, but again, if you use some of those underdogs we talked about or are about to talk about, he seems a reasonable fit. Toivasa minus 290 betting favorite. Arlovsky plus 245. More than anything else, though, odds to finish minus 320. This fight would be ugly if it gets into the third round, but trust me, that one's not going to happen. Somebody's knocking somebody out, and me, if it's up to me, I'm saying that's Toivasa. Are you in agreement? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm done with Arlovsky. Uh, I know he's won back-to-back fights. So back-to-back we're... wins, John. Yeah, you know, so would I if I was in there against those two guys. But, um, yeah, <laughs> look, it, it's um, – regular listeners know I am – I'm really hard on guys who clearly have nothing left and should walk away. It's not a sport that lends itself to hanging on when you're clearly past your prime. Um, Andre Arlovsky, you're right. I mean, technically he has two back-to-back wins over Stefan Struve and Junior Albini. That comes on the heels of a five-fight losing streak. So, you know, it's not as if Arlovsky's on this, you know, long-term he role. He needed those wins or he'd be fighting under the Bellator banner right now. Yes, a hundred million percent. If he lost to Albini and it was his sixth straight loss, he would have been unemployed in terms of the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arlovsky is essentially the same fighter he's always been throughout the course of his career. The only difference now is, and that being a heavy power puncher, the only difference now is he's too old and he's too slow to get into position to end the fights. That that's that's pretty much the gist of it. And as a result of being too old and too slow, he eats too much. You know, he eats too many shots the other way. Whereas when he was younger, he might have been be able to get out of the way. He can't do that anymore. Um, his chin, which eh, was always kind of questionable, seems to be getting worse. Um, he has 15 career losses; ten of them are by knockout. So, um, and I, you know, I think this is this is a good fight for Tuivasa for a few reasons. Um, the first one being he gets the exposure of the main card of a pay per view on what's the probably the biggest card of the year easily, at least up to this point. Um, so he gets a main spot on the card of a pay-per-view in a fight that he easily should win. And well, other than, he also gets an opponent in Arlovsky who still has name recognition, for better or for worse. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, people, you, casual fans know who that is. He's been around forever. I would guess if there's going to be a, a unanimous selection in the staff picks, it's probably going to be Tuivasa. We'll find out Thursday when I get that posted here. John, let's move on to another fight. This one should be a pretty quick breakdown here. Uh, there's there's aesthetic appeal and some name recognition in this, but we got CM Punk giving it another go around. He's going up against Mike Jackson. DraftKings-wise, this is, this is a really tough one. I mean, Jackson 8,600, Punk 7,600. Lines up with the betting odds. Jackson a minus 235 favorite. Punk plus 195. But there's a ton of unknown here, isn't there, John? Yep, 100%. Um, I have no idea why this is on the main card of a pay-per-view. I do because yeah, Punk's I mean, noticeable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, look, you have two fighters who, between them, combined, do not have a single professional win. And it's on the main card of not only a pay-per-view, but the most tacked pay-per-view of the year. Mm-hmm. It's just mind-boggling to me, but that furthers our point that we mentioned before. Well, it's about is the UFC trying, you know, trying to yeah. you know sell sell you know sell shows and all that. Mm-hmm. But 
I, 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 there's nobody who can honestly say with any confidence what's going to happen in this fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, seventy six hundred is like you're too. It's cheap, but you know you you don't really have any guarantee that he even has a shot at getting a knockout. And on the other side, Jackson eighty six hundred. Do we really feel eighty six hundred confident in him putting Punk away early? I mean, he's got the amateur boxing, amateur kickboxing, probably a more skilled and well rounded martial artist at this point. But you don't really know. No, and I mean, and honestly, considering how terrible Punk looked in his first fight, the fact Jackson is only $1,000 more than him on DraftKings tells you that he's pretty terrible also. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's it's. Yeah. this is one of those things that maybe it will be um, entertaining from a viewing perspective. You know, uh, Punk better walk out to cult of personality, otherwise it's just not the same. Of course. But, in you know, as far as, like, trying to break this down from a strategical standpoint in order to tell you what the mm-hmm. best play is from a Dra- point of view, it's impossible. Yeah. It's just a there's guys nothing. sloppy striking until something it's, happens. Yeah, it, that's all it is. It's, you know, it's low-level fighting, and that's really always what we tell you to avoid, especially in a card like this where there are so many high-level fighters and high-level fights. You, you don't need to be getting involved in this. Yeah, absolutely. So because this is on the main card, an excellent one between Alistair Overeem and Curtis Blades heavyweight fight. Uh, that one got pushed down to the prelim finale, which is why we advocate definitely tuning in for the prelims. Blades 8,500 on DraftKings, Reem 7,700. Uh, Blades minus 175 betting favorite. Overeem plus 155. This is a little bit of old versus new too. Overeem almost got decapitated. You mentioned this in the preview in his last fight by Francis Ngannou. Blades has been on a roll lately, uh, most recently taking down uh, Mark Hunt, I believe it was. Yeah, I got a bunch of takedowns in that fight here. So uh, um, are you going with the favorite in this one, or do you think Reem's got a chance? I'm taking Blades, and the reason is extremely simple. I trust his chin more than I trust Overeem's. Um, you got two guys the size of these two. It's a sen- you know both guys are going to land. It's going to essentially come down to the guy who can take a better shot. And based on the evidence we've seen of late, that that's Blades. Uh, you know, Blades was clobbered by Mark Hunt two or three times. Managed to survive. Ended up winning the fight. Overeem, uh, his chin, which was never his greatest strength understandably, seems to be getting worse as he's aged. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch that fight against Nganu and watch the manner in which he got knocked out, I just, you'd think there'd be no coming back from that. It was it was brutal. But uh, but here we are again, and, and I'm taking them for the same reason. I'm taking razor blades for the same reasons, whether it's get the takedowns and finish with strikes from there or land one while standing, which is perfectly possible. I'm going to take the younger Spryer fighter, if you will, and I think this one needs to be blades. And there's a... You know, there's a decent amount of, you know, I'm more confident in Toivasa than I am in someone like Blades. So if you're picking between favorites, you know, you definitely, I lean towards Toivasa at least. But yeah, I think I'm going to roll with Blades in this one as well. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, to give you an idea, Alistair Overeem's last nine losses have come via knockout. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's, it's, he, look, he's going to land. I mean, he's really big. He's still, he still hits like a Mack truck. So he's going to land his fair share of shots. But uh, considering the Ninganu fight, and I'm not talking of that level because that shot he landed would have knocked any man on earth out. But I I don't understand how you can think Overeem will, is able going to be able to survive given all the abuse he's taken late. 
Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that here. So there we have it. Uh, we broke down the main card, or what should be the main card, if you will, here. But there are a lot of stellar fights on this card, John. Uh, is there are there are there any uh, particular plays that stand out as maybe a value play? If you say say you think, hey, Jake, you're crazy. Anderson has no chance of winning. I'm not touching Romero. Anybody else that you can turn to as an underdog, or maybe some safer underdogs for cash games? Well, I think Ricardo Lamas is a decent play, if only for. No other reason than 7400 is a really low price for a fighter of his caliber. Uh, you know, he's been one of the top fighters in that division for a long time. And granted, he's going against a top prospect in Mirsad Bektik, who um, still isn't very well known, but mm-hmm. is without a doubt one of the better up-and-coming fighters in the division. But mm-hmm. in terms of value, uh, you know, Lamas certainly has a chance to win. And, you know, 7400 is um, entirely reasonable. Mm-hmm. And um, the other guy who I thought was a, a halfway decent salary, uh, decent value play given his salary, was uh, Clay Guida against the uh, late notice of replacement Charles Oliveira. The Carpenter. Um, Here we go. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves Clay, Clay Guida, obviously. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. But um, Guida's a guy who relies on his wrestling, relies on the takedown, and that's not a great that's not a great setup going up against the guy in Oliveira who is one of the most talented match specialists in the whole company in any division. So, you know, that that's a bad matchup for him in that sense. I think he would have been better off facing Bobby Green, his originally scheduled opponent, because mm-hmm. Green doesn't offer the threat from the bottom that Oliveira does. But, you know, there's a non-zero chance that Guida is able to grind Oliveira into the mat and Oliveira doesn't clamp on one of his submissions and Guida, you know, grinds out his, a decision. So, you know, I, I would say that's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you take a look at Sergio Pettis at 7,200, yeah. given Joseph Benavidez's time away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to ask you about. It's been a long layoff for Benavidez. And I mean, yeah, he's ranked up there. But I mean, are you you got to be at least a little bit threatened by Sergio Pettis or maybe enough to maybe not use uh, Benavidez in cash games. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pettis is a good young fighter. The thing is, I, and I know I know he's been away for so long. Joseph Benavidez's last fight was December 2016. But I, it's essentially the only guy who's been able to defeat... Uh, Benavidez has four career losses. He's lost to Dominic Cruz twice, and he's lost to Demetrius Johnson twice, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you're talking Benavidez, you're talking about the highest of the high level of flyweights. But again, exactly. you're right. Hasn't fought in a long time. 30, he'll turn 34 years old next month. So, you know, if you're a little hesitant in regards to what he's going to offer with his time away, that's understandable. Pettis is a cheap salary. He does have some skill. Not the worst idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pettis kind of an up-and-coming prospect. This fight's close to home to him in a way. He trains at Rufus Sport with his uh, brother, I guess, or Anthony in Milwaukee. Um, so, you know, not too far away in Chicago. I mean, there's, there's a couple intangible things I like there, but if you've listened to me earlier in the show, um, I'd be a lot more likely to use Anderson and Romero because, I mean, like I said, you put those two in there and then I throw in Dos Santos as well in the lineup, then basically take your pick out of any of the big favorites here. You know, if it, if you if you want Bektich, uh, you know, if you want Tuivasa, you know, that's one that you have to go with. I mean, Claudia Gadelli is a giant favorite. I think that's a little bit too much, but that'd be a tough one to trust for me. So there's, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of different strategies you can use. Definitely want to differentiate your cash and GPP lineups on this card. Got a lot going on here, but it's going to be a great card, John. I'm stoked. Yeah, th- this is a good one. I mean... This is, I mean, look, Benavidez and Pettis is 
what the on the fight pass prelims, I believe. I think it's the third fight of the night, which is mm-hmm. yeah, you know, ridiculous. Is, yeah. He he said he was a little upset with that, but you know, when you've been away this long and don't quite have the recognition, I guess that's where you got to start. It is, but I mean, I, but then you kind of understand his argument, given you see some of the cards, some of the fights they've run off on pay per views of late, and then you look and you think those two can't get on, you know, can't get on the Fox Sports undercard part, let alone the main card. So this is we talk about it a lot, but this is a legitimately stacked card from top to bottom. You know, it's uh, there. Most of the cards you go are all right. I can skip the fight pass stuff and just you know turn in on. You know when the the late portion of the the FS1 prelims begin, but this is one of the rare cards that is loaded the entire way through. Mm-hmm. It has fights the entire way through that really are going to impact the title division in title picture in countless divisions. So this is a good one. Um, put it, uh, you know, if some of our listeners, if you know, you're on the fence about, you know, you may only buy or purchase, you know. One or two, maybe three pay per views a year. This is certain, yes, a hundred percent. This is one that uh, we advocate watching. Yeah, and we have no incentive. Uh, I mean, of course, we have incentive for the UFC to do well, but we don't have any type of official nope. partnership nope. with the UFC. Dana, no, Dana no reason White to endorse give it. Us a cut. We yeah. get nothing. <laughs> no, no reason to endorse it. But, but John, I definitely agree. This is this is an exceptional one. Definitely worth shelling out the dollars for. And and if you're going to shell out the dollars, might as well put. I don't know at least a couple lineups in on DraftKings. I mean, that $10 MMA uppercut is really enticing for me. I'm going to try to throw some lineups in that, but hopefully target that $25,000 top prize. You know, we can all dream. But, John, thanks so much for joining me. It's been excellent, exceptional, as always, breaking down this card. And to you listeners out there, thanks so much for listening to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. We're always going to try to bring you the best analysis possible for pay-per-views. Of course, uh, if you've been listening to Fight IQ as well, those guys are going to do their their show Friday at 8 Eastern, so something to check out. But for now, uh, thanks, John, for joining me. Oh, real quick, follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. He'll be doing live recaps for the card here on Saturday. Uh, you can follow me at jakeski52. I'll keep you uh, posted with all the MMA content that's on. I'll, you know, I'm going to post this pod shortly, of course. Then we'll be doing staff picks on Thursday, a little rising falling piece on Friday, in addition to Fight IQ on Friday. And then, hey, Saturday it is. I will be pacing back and forth from the moment I wake up. Can't wait to turn on the Fight Press prelims because it's an excellent card. This is a great card. And, of course, John, we'll be back with you guys prior to International Fight Week. We've got another hell of a card coming up, headlined by a super fight this time between Daniel Cormier and Steve Miocic. John, I can't wait for that one, too. Thanks. The year starting started a little slow, but no doubt this month, next month, definitely picking up. Yeah, definitely a summer to celebrate for fights. So thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Uh, 10-day trial to rotowire.com, rotowire.com slash free. But you don't need that for MMA. All our stuff is free anyway. Uh, we're, a, we're a couple of writers for the people here. So hope you enjoyed the, the show, and best of luck to everybody on DraftKings. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.